0: Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone Church, Wirral in Merseyside. And I'm joined by Josh Walsh, the lead pastor of Cornerstone Wirral. And today we're going to chat about what it takes to be a community of repentance. We hope that the members of the church and really anyone else who's listening finds this podcast useful as they grow in their faith in Christ and as they step out into all that God has called them to do. This podcast is an extension of the ministry that we already do at Cornerstone Wirral in order to encourage you and equip you as members of the church while you're on mission for Jesus. In the world around you. So, you're invited into the conversation with Josh and I as we discuss relevant and current topics to equip the church, as well as share stories that will hopefully encourage you as you step out into all that God has for you. So, Josh, we've had quite a few busy weeks of late. Uh, In many ways, I know I'm shattered, uh, but I'm also expectant. I'm also being excited. I'm also looking forward to all that God is doing. And because of some things that have been happening over those weeks, what have been some of your highlights? uh, over this past short while.
1: Um, Hey everyone. my highlights is that you're wearing shoes today. That's a whoop, good, whoop. that's a good thing. Uh, yes. These, these past few weeks have been, have been wonderful. Uh, I don't like using the word bu- busy, but I like the phrase of we've been, I have a, I have a full gospel heart and a tired physical body mm. and, uh, I'd much rather have it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah, we've we've been able to be blessed as a church by by people coming and serving us so well. Uh we've been we've been able to be a blessing to other churches uh through several things that we've done, uh whether individually as a church or partnering with Acts 29 and hosting a conference and uh that those types of things. So it's been wonderful to receive and to give out and uh I'm so encouraged as I got to see a bigger picture of what God is doing globally, nationally and locally. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been really amazing actually seeing that, that
0: global perspective. I think a, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a global prayer gathering, um, on zoom, uh, with a couple of guys from church. And it was amazing seeing that kind of the bigness of what God is doing. And then over these past few weeks, just bringing that slightly more into a UK setting an Ireland setting, uh, but even narrowing it down to, to kind of what we're doing as well. Um, I've, I've seen a real theme of prayer over these past few weeks. I was talking to uh, you guys the other day and was was saying one of my highlights has been just that we get to pray and have conversation with God. And I think it's been a real uh, evidence of God's grace to me. Uh, so we had Jeff Metters preaching uh, about the role of the whole church to plant the church. Uh, and we saw through Acts 13 that the church of Antioch uh, as a sending church, as a, as a church that was sending out missionaries, uh, they they started that they began that with worship, worship of God, uh, orientating their their lives in light of who God is. But then in prayer and fasting, it all it all kind of started there, um, and and the church spread across that whole region uh, through the kingdom building work, and um, that the prayer kind of began. Uh, God used that. And we've been seeing that in Nehemiah too, haven't we? We've seen that theme of of prayer fueling kingdom building, first the walls and then the people. Uh, it's, there's been something fitting together for me over this past time, and and then that that night that we had with the men of the church, we got to think how to grow as men of prayer. And there was something that that Jeff said that really stuck with me: our spiritual health and vitality is revealed through prayer. Prayer is the way that we speak with God. Without speaking to God, our realization of who God is it begins to like trickle away, and our own self importance tends to grow. And I I know that's true. Whenever I'm not praying, it's because I'm thinking I'm I'm okay, or I'm thinking I'm strong enough, or I think I have got things sorted. But if we really believe John fifteen verse five that that Jesus is the the vine and we are the branches, and if he ever abides in Christ and 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 He in us. It is he that bears much fruit and apart from him, we can do nothing. So we can do nothing apart from him. And so what does that cause us to do? It causes us to talk to him more and more in prayer. Um, Guys, if you're listening along to this and if you were not at that prayer event, and I know half of our church wasn't there, I would encourage you to ask any of the men that came along to that event what they learned from it. I've been so encouraged to see the men grow in their enthusiasm, in their, in their in their confidence, in prayer over the course of even these few short weeks after that evening. It's not, nothing special, nothing extraordinary, but yet they have learned so much and been encouraged by it. So they really want to share that stuff with you. So just ask them and then join them in it as well. Join them in it. Uh, but even this past week, I got to see that lived out. I got to see that lived out as we joined with a, a small group of, of pa- local pastors from across North Wales, Chester, uh, and across the world. And we got to to basically talk to God. We got to pray to God. We got to to live out John 15, verse 5, knowing that we can do nothing but f- through him. Um, and so we got to live that out and praying and pleading with him uh, for our regions, uh, for the lost to be saved, for the church to grow. Uh, both in its abiding in Christ and in its, in its, in its fixation on who Jesus is and what he's done, but also for the the planting and the revitalization of churches across our regions. And man, it, it, it excited me. We kind of lost track of time, uh, which was immense. How often uh, do we think, oh, it's going to take like half an hour to pray and it's going to be really hard, but an hour and a half in, we were still praying and it was it was so, so good. And then it's got me excited looking forward to our our members prayer gathering where we're going to ins- keep on instilling that uh, just at just the GC the other week we were talking about wouldn't it be great if um if if we as a congregation prayed for these big things that we're we're hoping for and planning for and I, I was like yes and amen because that is what we're seeking to do we, we've had one this is our next one uh, and I'm I'm dead excited about it so yeah the theme of prayer has been particularly relevant particularly highlighted for me Over this past few weeks, Um, we've been seeing through Nehemiah uh, that the people are being rebuilt uh, and revitalized. They're being reawakened to who God is and what he has done. And we all want that reawakening. Each and every one of us, I guess that each and every one of us wants that reawakening within ourselves, within our church and within the wider uh, region in which we live, we we want to see people come to know Jesus. What is it that brings something about like this?
1: I don't agree. I don't agree with your assumption. So I don't assume what you just said mm. is true. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. assume that everybody wants that. Okay. I think most people are um, not consciously thinking like that. Mm. I think most people will find themselves just drifting through life and not even conscious of it. Yeah. Well, drift through life thinking that, me and God are good. Yeah, I was at church on Sunday. I even went to the gospel community this week. Me and God are good. And my my fear, my worry is we're not even consciously aware that there's more. Mm. And so, so I think I think that's I say that because I think that's true of the people of God when mm. it came to Nehemiah. They were walking in the midst of the broken down walls, and the broken down walls weren't even new to them anymore. They continued to walk around in the midst of brokenness, fallen downness, their own, their own rebellion, rejection and sin. They were walking down under the oppression of a foreign enemy, army, nation, Hmm. and they were not even crying out. Yeah. It took God to move in the heart of a man who then was able to lead and galvanize a people to realize and understand their plight. And it required the spirit of God to awaken their hearts. So, so I, I start, I start more of the baseline assumption that we were not consciously thinking about growing. Mm. And so I see our role as a church is to help people see their need to grow and press into that. That's why we gather. That's why we preach. That's why we pray. That's why we do life together. That's why we're on mission together because we need to be continually reawoken to the reality that, that we don't fit God into a box. Like, okay, I've done my God stuff this week. I've done my studies this week. I've done my gym stuff this week. I've done my family stuff. I've, I'm, I'm, I've, I have a really holistic life. Uh, that's crazy. You don't fit God into a box, and you certainly don't put him on the same plane as going to the gym, studying, working. No, no. God is God is who we worship, and we worship God in the spheres of our lives, not we worship God alongside worshiping our workplace. So I think I think when you piece all that together, it's helpful to see that, and then I think from that, what is it? What does it require? It requires. It requires the people of God to to long for the weighty presence of God more, because remember, God is a good father. Luke eleven tells us he's a he's a good father who loves to give his children good gifts, uh, and so he is not going to give us a scorpion. <laughs> uh, he he will give us the Holy Spirit as we pray to him. So so I so that's why this year the theme of prayer has been so heavy, like we intentionally chose that as elders we felt led by that and so these members prayer gatherings for example are that places for us to realize our need of the presence of god to pray into that and to pray into to where the lord would have us direct Mm. and focus our energies in response to who he is Um, and so then but then you think about the think from chapter seven onwards, like what's happened. Well, chapter seven, they, you you see, you see that shift from the kind of physical to the spiritual of the people. And then you saw a couple of moments. You see, you see the centrality of the word in that. Uh, So the word had to be at the center because it's only in the word that we find out the revealed will of God. It's only in the word we find out who God is, what he is about. We only find out who we are. We only find out how, how much we fall short of his glory and his holiness. And then that word led the people to that to that grasp of their need. And so that's why we've seen the shift from the centrality of the words, of people submitting under the authority of the word, and then their responses is prayer. Because when you come into contact with the awesomeness, the majesticness, the holiness of God, it w- woe was me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Yeah. We, we bow down and pray and we worship. And that, and that's where we find the people on Sunday in Nehemiah 9. What is it that stops us? What is it that hinders us getting to
0: that place of, of seeing God in all of his holiness and then seeing ourselves in our unholiness and, and coming to the conclusion, woe is me and mourning and and putting on sackcloth. What, what is it that
1: hinders that within us? I think we view life through the lens of a horizontal lens. So we view, we view life as what I get out of it. Hmm. So we view life as, okay, I need, I need education to get me a career. I need a career and then I need to build a career and then I need to sustain a career and I need to be successful in a career. Oh yeah. And I want to have a family. So I need to, I need to figure out that, how to get a spouse, how do we have kids? What does that look like? Where are we going to live? And so life just becomes this series of decisions where we end up on the treadmill of the suburbia life. And so I just, I think it's quite simply, we just get wrapped up in worldly things. And so our horizontal plane is just worldliness and we have lost sight of the otherness of God, the heavenliness that we are. We have this dual citizenship that we are we're, we're citizens of heaven while we live out our temporary citizenship in this world and we've just got it the wrong way around we've we've ju- we've just lost sight we we think that this is our permanent world so therefore we invest our energies so mainly we are hindered by our fleshiness and our earthliness and our perspective is just the wrong way around you mm-hmm. know we we don't pray your kingdom come we pray my kingdom come we don't pray your will be done we really pray my will be done you know, we we really we really just turn inward when we are left to our own devices. And what's, what helps? How do we stop that? It's the pattern of the M I exposure to God's Word and God's people. Yeah, will redirect us and reorientate us.
0: So, getting a right view of God and a right view of ourselves is is crucial. So that that vertical kind of element um, is crucial to be able to understand kind of horizontally how things play out. We live in a world that is constantly telling us you're awesome. You you are worthy. You make yourself the best that you can be. We live in a world where the average person probably celebrates sin or just doesn't see it as sin at all. Which means that often we numb sin. We we don't do anything about sin. I remember growing up one of one of my favorite passages is is one John, chapter one, um, verses five to chapter two, verse two, and I love it because it's so convicting. It's so convicting. Uh, there was a, there was a time I I probably asked myself, "Am, a, am I a Christian?" Because uh, in in chapter uh, two, John says, "I write these things so that you do not sin," and I didn't read everything else around it. I was like, "Oh, flipping heck! I I do sin." So what does that mean? So like the, 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 big premise of this, this section of, of scripture is that that God is light. He is pure. He is most pure. He is most holy in him is no darkness at all. And so whenever we say, and this is verse six, whenever we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lying. We're not practicing the truth. Whenever we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Whenever we say we have not sinned or we kind of belittle sin or hide sin, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. But it is good to walk in the light. Now, in the midst of those uh, verses, sandwiched between them in verses seven and verse nine, these are the the bits that I have fallen on time and time again to to love and to, to hold up. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We are cleansed in that vertical relationship by the blood of Christ. And so we have fellowship with one another as we walk in the light, walk in obedience to him, walk in his exposing light, not ashamed, not afraid. And in verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as I as I've read that as I've sought to live that out it's helped me to realize that it is good to walk in the light it is good but it is hard don't get me wrong to have things exposed in our lives but as we see who God is and we realize his grace and his mercy his justice his faithfulness we can step into that exposing light and what we what happens is we find it hard whenever We want to hide. We want to hide in the shadows. We want to hide in the shadows because of fear. We want to enjoy sin, let's be honest. Uh, Or for pride, I want to be good enough myself. Or whenever guilt or shame just takes us, we want to hide away from God for fear of what he might think of us. But as we walk in the light of the gospel, we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with others. And so whenever I sin, I need to turn... And I need people to remind me, and I need to remind myself of verse nine, to confess my sin to Him who is faithful and just, to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I need that. I need that. But there's probably there's probably some people who have different ideas of of what confession is, of what it looks like you got a, a a good definition have you got a good kind of picture of what that looks
1: like to confess can i take a slight step back yeah go for it and uh frame what you said with a slightly different language it's language we've used in the past when we preached one john we said do you know what you believe and do you believe what you know that was how we framed the sermon series when we preached that way back in 2017 18 something like about, that. i think it was before my time yeah it was really great <laughs> how <laughs> many people were around then <laughs> that's what he didn't know um, and we we've, we framed it as that because there's two things happening in what you've just read do you know what you believe nobody will disagree with what you just said what you've just read from mm-hmm. the passage because mm-hmm. we know what we believe yeah yeah but do we believe what we know? What that means is we are to live it out. Mm-hmm. Now here's a, here's a different set of language that we've used in the past, which I've just robbed from Ray Ortland. He used the phrase gospel doctrine, gospel culture. Yeah. So he says, do you know what you believe? Gospel doctrine. Yeah. Do you believe what you know? And what he means is that what you say you believe must be lived out in the culture of your church. You should be able to tangibly see it. Now what he goes on to say is that um, there is a... He would then say if if it has not been lived out in a culture, it's a hypocritical community, Mm. essentially, to distill it down. He would say that it's actually a matter of heresy. Right. And so there are many churches out there here who have got doctrinal purity, but they have not got the beauty of gospel culture amongst them. And so I think that's really helpful. And that's what challenges me the most in my own life. And I think challenges us as a church as most. So therefore, we need to be a we need to, as a church, know what we believe but what you're asking me is that what's the bridge to living out what we say we believe. Mm. And as you rightly said, there's so many fears there's so many worries in the midst of that. There's there's fear of man. There's comparison syndrome. There's the people are big and God is small, which you referenced a a couple episodes ago. There's, there's all these things going on. There's the cultural vibe of uh, sharing weakness is wrong. Um, Sharing sin is wrong. Um, Who who even defines sin? All, all of those t- this type of type of things, so when it comes to comes to what are we saying we are not we're not merely confessing weakness, we are confessing sin our sins to the father and we ha- and because we believe in a God who uh, as we as we confess our sins uh, we have the blood of Jesus who cleanses us from all sins mm-hmm. because we believe that. I can confess that in front of brothers and sisters Mm. because, because I have a, I have a right view of total depravity that, that all of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. I I have an understanding that, um, I'm a sinner. I, I I don't sin as bad as I probably could, but by the grace of God. So therefore, no matter what's what I confess or somebody else confesses, it is not, uh, it doesn't surprise me Mm. that somebody else is a sinner. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that I'm a sinner because I know I know the doctrine that I believe. Yeah. And so to but when I don't confess sin or when I'm fearful of confessing sin in front of others I'm not living out what I say I believe. It shouldn't surprise us as a church that mm. we are a community full of people who experience the presence of sin in our lives and we make sinful actions and decisions. So a church that has that gospel doctrine, that gospel purity
0: they they are a church that that says they have fellowship with him but yeah walk in darkness walk in the shadows because of fear of what other people might think fear of how God actually thinks of them as well because they're they're acting out differently to what they say they believe whereas a a community a gospel culture that that lives in light of the doctrine in which they say they believe they walk in the light and they have fellowship with one another. And that means that they can share their, their, their sin with one another in an attempt not to, to, to seek forgiveness from others, but to receive their help, to receive their prayer, to receive their, their encouragement. I was reading uh, Psalm 32 this morning. and It just struck me that whenever we're silent about sin, um, David a teaching psalm, a mascal of David, he something that we're meant to learn from. He, he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as a heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't hide it. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's kind of the the lived out experience of, of, of hiding, uh, hiding our sins from the Lord and belittling them, and kind of saying we're not sinning, um, versus the the kind of coming out and and agreeing with the Lord. Yes, Lord, I agree with you. Like I have done wrong against you and against others. Please forgive me. I turn away from that. I repent of that. What will it take to be a community that? doesn't walk in darkness, what would it take to be a community that doesn't minimize and ignore and blame shift on sin?
1: Yeah. So so Jay Packer puts it, I guess, turning repentance is turning from all that you know of your sin to give all that you know of yourself to all that you know of your God. So it's the first step isn't to turn inward. It is to look upward to God and to know all that we know about him which means that when I see myself in light of him, I can confess and I can actually do that one to another confession and repentance and community is simply walking in an honest conversation with one another. Mm. Um, Not, not finger pointing at people when they sin, not comparing your sin to one another as better or worse. uh, Not having a pity party around that. uh, Not, not, not a case of, just confessing but no no real desire of change but genuinely desiring to grow yourself in communion with the lord and desiring your brother or sister to grow in communion yeah, yeah. With, with, with them it's really wrong isn't it if we get to the place where i'm happy for you to confess your sins to me and i'll disciple you through that but i never confess my sins it's really wrong if we all sit in a room and someone feels like they're the only sinner
0: mm, absolutely
1: like that's terrifying to me like I'm sorry if anybody's listened to this and have ever been made to feel like that. That is not the culture of Cornerstone Church world. That's not the culture we aspire for, Mm. and that's certainly not the doctrine we believe. Mm. So something's gone wrong in our culture if that's happening. And so it's going to take a radical honesty and courage, but that honesty and courage doesn't come from something we manufacture within ourselves. It comes from right doctrine that believes. When when Jesus died for me, he died for all of me. He knew the worst of me when he died for me yeah. and knowing that he's committed to changing me into his likeness, to perfect me, to present me in glory without spot, blemish yeah. or wrinkle. And, and so God, God has seen me in my worst. He now sees me in, in my best and yet he's still not finished making me into what we will one day be. It is viewing one another with that same lens. If that's the gospel I believe, that's the gospel I extend to one another. But there will, so there will be some in our church who will struggle with that concept. Some will struggle with the concept of, I am so bad. So so lots of people will become quite self-centered, mm. um, self-critical, self-reflective in those, in those ways, which is a really dangerous turn. Some will become purely others focused. Mm. And so in both cases... Um, we are robbing the wider church community of what it needs. When we turn in on self too much, we do that to the disservice of our brothers and sisters. And when we turn out we're too much, we actually disservice our brothers and sisters because we're not actually aware of our own sin. So it's going to require an honesty of us. Here, Here's, here's something I want to share. It's a quote from uh, uh, the, the kind of... Um, from, from John was in the first great awakening. And so it, we, I laugh I, I tongue in cheek because we think we've created something new. We, I, I don't actually think that, but people who come to our church think this gospel community things like, <laughs> it's, it's like, I've never experienced church like this before. This is what it always should have been. Well, sadly to say, we didn't come up with this idea. What? This, this existed in Acts chapter two. And then it existed hundreds of years ago when John Wesley uh, drew up the guidelines for, listen to it, their small group ministry in their church. <laughs> and here's, here's what they say. This is, this was the culture. They, this was their guidelines, their rules essentially that everyone that they will meet weekly and that everyone in order speak as freely, plainly and concisely as he can. Here it is to keep it the real state of his heart with his several temptations and deliverances since the last time of meeting. Wow. Hundreds of years ago, they were writing in a construct of small groups of the church meeting together for what purpose? They would meet weekly so they can speak freely and plainly of the real state of their heart. Mm. So this guideline that they wrote, which we share, just in 21st century English is that we meet, meet weekly <clears throat> formally and informally through the week, life on life. And we want to be honest. We want to have an honest conversation with God about who we are and we have an honest conversation with one another about where we're at. And our response to that is to share our temptations, share our deliverances. Here's where I've really struggled this week. Yeah. And here here's where the Lord's been really merciful to me this week. Mm. Can we pray together? that's the culture we want in our gospel communities yeah, and, and that is the culture we're longing for. And that's going to take people, not just to do muster up that strength from within to do that, but to look to God, to trust him and to view one another with the same gospel lens that we apply to ourselves. Yeah. And when we do that, I think we will have a, a gospel culture, which is, has beautiful relationships within it that doesn't make somebody feel like they're the only sinner in the room. That actually helps people to see. Ah, me too, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also this God. As I said in Sunday did when I opened the service, I said about I love the gospel. I love coming to church because in it we can be honest and hopeful. So when we are on, when when God is honest with us, He doesn't lead us to despair or hopelessness. He leads us into hopefulness. And when we read the Bible, we can be honest with ourselves about our true state. And when we find ourselves there, we actually are moved to hopefulness. There is no hope for somebody who is not honest with God or honest with themselves. Yeah, There's just no hope for them. True hope comes to those who are honest with God and honest with one another. That's really straggling in contrast to the world, isn't
0: it? Really is. It really is. Like if someone in a church believes that they have, they have no sin or they haven't sinned, I don't think they've read their Bible. I think that's a big statement, but I, I don't think they've read their Bible. I, like even Hebrews 3, God has given us a gracious gift of brothers and sisters to, what do they, they do? They exhort us each and every day, as long as it's called a day, 365 days of a year, every year, brothers and sisters to exhort us so that we not, might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God knows that we are have, an, have a propensity to sin. That we will sin every single day. And to think otherwise is to not understand what the Bible says. However, it's a progressive sanctification. God has graciously given us, brothers and sisters, to come alongside us. Just as John Wesley has written, to, to come and encourage one another. Just as we in gospel community say to come in and be vulnerable and open with one another, to gospel one another, to, to point one another back to Jesus. We we get to live that out in the everydayness of life, uh, because it, that's how real it is. That's how real it is.
1: And if you and if you keep pressing it further, like you know, James five sixteen, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Mm. You know, like that's 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 really striking, isn't it? Because he, here here's what that here's what that word healed means. What it means is that every person is trying to deal with their sin in one of two ways. Either we are hailed through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, or we seek to atone for our sins mm. ourselves. So we might do that through the anxious toil of trying to trying to earn and merit your salvation. You may do religious deeds or works. You may uh, surround yourself with accountability, software, and people, and you're trying to create this Christian. Huddle where you won't be contaminated by the world, uh, and that the only influences around you are Christian ones, and that surely in that environment you can be really holy. So we so we we respond that. So I think what James five sixteen says when it says confess your sins to one another and pray, Mm -hmm. I think what it's saying is that we don't confess our sins to one another because um, we we believe in confessional, and therefore no, we're not saying that we don't go through any man. We go we go through the mediating work and blood of Jesus Christ. We are healed only in and through the work of Jesus Christ. Mm. And in community, you, you pray and you remind one another of that truth. So if you're never honest, you'll never be prayed for. If you're never honest, you will never confess your sin. And if you're never honest, you'll never be healed of your sin because you will only ever find yourself in anxious toil trying to save yourself. Yeah. And that verse promises us that we will be healed because Christ has already paid for that sin. So hopefulness, not despair. Amen to that. Amen to
0: that. What about you guys as you as you listen and as you reflect on, on some of these things, what's been the greatest help to you as you've sought to deal with sin in your own life? Maybe like many of us you find it hard Have you ever asked for help from others? Have you ever come to a Christian brother and sister and and asked for help? Let us know because we're all in this walk together. None of us are sorted. We all sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, but yet we have an atoning savior. We're all a work in progress uh, and God is doing that work through his spirit, by his people in the church. So send us an email, send it to to me, chris at cornerstonechurchworld.org so that we can pray for you. And we can pray for the ongoing work of the spirit in your life. And here's the real challenge. Share your thoughts, share your heart with someone else in your life. Do what John Wesley ordered his small groups to do. Share that with your GC. Share that and talk about that with someone else in your life and let them pray for you and with you in person. Well, that's us for this week. We hope you find that useful. It's been so encouraging to read your responses and hear your responses to the recent episodes. So do keep sharing them with us. We love serving you guys. Uh, Just last week, we met two people outside of Cornerstone World who are absolutely loving the podcast and they're sharing it with their friends and their, their churches and their leadership teams. And so if you've enjoyed this episode, go on, subscribe to it, and then talk about it with your friends and others who you think might find it useful. God bless, and we'll catch you soon for just one more thing.